All right. How y'all doing? What a night. What a night. It's already been great so far. And uh, we're excited about the rest of the night. So good to see all of you. Looking wonderful. Turn to your neighbor and just say, man, I was praying I'd sit next to you tonight. <laughs> well, uh... My name is Austin. If I haven't got the chance to meet you, I get to lead uh, this group of people. It's a privilege and honor. Someone's whistling. Who was that? Um, they're whistling because uh, I just turned 30 yesterday. So old. So old. Um, so that was fun. <laughs> But anyways, we're excited to be back uh, tonight. We're in week two of kind of a series of conversations that we're having that we've entitled uh, The Real World after the show that uh, came on TV, on MTV. I don't even know if it's still on, but um, used to come on. And really the idea is this, man, we want the church to be a place where we tackle real world issues, where we go after real world things. We don't want to shy away from them. We don't just want to come in here and pretend like everything is awesome and everyone's just great, but we realize that there are some things in life that are really tough, they're painful, they're hard, even uh, some things are divisive, and there's different opinions about things, uh, but we don't want to let that uh, dictate how we approach it, because um, truthfully, the Bible speaks to a lot of things, and so uh, that's kind of why we're in this conversation. So I want to introduce to you first, uh, this is a friend of mine, I guess, uh, we've just recently met, but I'm really excited to have her. This is uh, Leslie Milligan, and um, we're excited to have Leslie as uh, kind of the co-speaker here tonight. She brings a uh, breadth of knowledge to the table about our topic tonight. I'll have her share a little bit about herself and what she does, um, but she has been a part of 12 Song for many, many years. Um, and so she's excited to be here. She told me earlier, she said, I, I speak one-on-one -on -one to people. I don't speak to groups, uh, but she's going to do awesome. We have a, um, a desire here at C12 to help people. I really believe that that is uh, the heart of Jesus is to help people. He didn't just come to rescue you from, uh, you know, to, to rescue you from eternity in hell and from your sins. He actually came to help you and to help your life and to rescue you from a life uh, riddled by pain and um, all these kinds of things. And so um, I believe that that heart of Jesus uh, should be what we carry as well. Unfortunately, um, some of the things that happen in life are super painful and they're difficult and uh, they're specific to your journey and your journey alone and what you walk through. Um, and because of that, it makes it really challenging and intimidating for the church to address some of the issues. I can tell you as um, a pastor, I've been in ministry for almost five years now, uh, it's really challenging to get on stage and speak to something that may cause a lot of pain in people's lives because it causes pain in your life specifically different than it, how it does in other people's lives. And because of that, I think... I think it's intimidating for pastors or people of the church, leaders of the church to stand up and address some of these things. But have you ever felt like, like maybe you had a bad toothache or an injury 
And at first you're like, eh, I'll just figure it out. I'll get over it. And then after a while, it just got so bad that you're like, if I don't go see a doctor, this is going to be more than I can handle. I kind of feel that way about some of the topics and some of the issues in today's world. Um, like at first it was like, let's just kind of deal with this one-on-one. And then it's gotten so prevalent and so bad, honestly, that I feel a responsibility to address it. Even if I can't do it specifically to all of you, I feel a responsibility to bring it um, into a conversation. And so tonight I want to have the conversation around the question or, or the idea how to move toward healing from past abuse. How to move toward healing from past abuse. And the reason I say I want to have the conversation is because dealing with a topic like this, like abuse, is um, it's impossible to give an, it's, it's not like giving an answer to a problem. It really is a conversation. And it's impossible for me to speak to everyone's specific journey and what they've walked through specifically. But I believe by having a conversation, the Spirit of God can breathe on a conversation and can then take a hold and breathe into your specific situation. My fear is that if we never have a conversation, that we never take the responsibility that God's given us and in order for the Spirit of God to, to breathe on it and to move in it. And so um, tonight we're getting into how to move toward healing from past abuse. And so uh, I hope that you'll give us a little bit of grace. This is a, a, a big thing to cover. But uh, we believe that God's called us to be bold enough to at least get into it. Is that okay? Good, good. And as I mentioned last week, uh, I told you guys, even if this, hasn't been, if this hasn't been your journey, hasn't been what you've walked through, um, I can almost guarantee you that you will come across someone in your life that has walked through it. And it would be like God to want to use you to bring some encouragement into it. And so I hope that tonight, uh, in some shape or form, can be encouraging for all of us. So I've already talked too long. <laughs> but I want to, uh, what we want to do tonight is me and Leslie are just going to kind of talk for a little bit, and I'm going to ask her to share some things with you. But as we do so, I want you guys to feel free to maybe send in some questions that you have uh, regarding the topic of abuse, whether it's uh, physical, mental, uh, emotional, verbal, whatever it is. Uh, maybe send in some questions. We may have some time uh, at the end of the service to just allow her to uh, go off of some of the things that y'all want to talk about. So if uh, we have a phone number, it's just to like a text messaging app um, that you can stay anonymous. You can send your questions into that number and they'll get uh, fielded to me. And then uh, hopefully we'll have some time at the end of the service to go through them. So if any point, if something uh, sparks in your mind, then feel free to text uh, that number. Hopefully you're writing it down because I don't know that we're going to leave it up there the whole time. Okay. <laughs> Um, so, Leslie, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so, you are a, the title I was reading up, a licensed or professional licensed counselor, or did I mix those up? You did. So, it's a licensed <laughs> professional counselor. Licensed professional yeah. counselor. Yeah. And uh, I know you office out of Swanee, is that right? Yes. Great, great. Tell, how long have you been doing that? I've been in private practice for about 18 years. 18 years. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Yeah. Will you, um, many of these students are trying to figure out what they're doing with their life, and some of them are in college and just going through that whole process. Would you mind sharing a little bit just how you got into that degree, like how, or in that profession, how that became your choice? Yeah. 
So I was 16 years old, and I actually saw a counselor myself for things that I wasn't even sure was happening. I just felt odd and different, and I didn't know why I didn't get along with certain ideas or people, and I just sort of felt stuck. So I asked my parents if I could talk to somebody about it. And I saw a counselor, her name is Deborah Bourne, I'll never forget her, and she basically started a journey with me into understanding how uniquely we all are made and how we can just embrace how we're made, but challenge ourselves to grow as well. And from that point forward, I knew if, if I could ever offer someone what this person has offered me just through conversation and love and truth, I will, that is definitely what I'm here on the earth to do. So I became a counselor out of that experience. And I think I read what school you went to. Would you mind sharing? What, undergrad? Yeah, Georgia. undergrad. Oh yeah, um, Georgia, University of Georgia is where my undergrad Go dogs. was. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's great. Um, awesome. And which which twelfth on campus do you go to? I go to Hamilton Mill. Hamilton Mill campus. All right. Mm -hmm. You're married. I am. I've also been married for 18 years to Don Milligan. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I have two kids. I have a 15 year old, and I also have an almost 12 year old. So Teenagers. I have high school and middle schooler. <laughs> Good luck to you. Um, <laughs> so. We really don't need to spend much time talking about how prevalent abuse is now. Um, I think most people are aware. I think I read a statistic. It was like three out of five ladies um, yeah. walk through this one out of five guys. Males. And really, that's um, really they believe it's more than that, but that's the number of males that have the courage to say something about it. Um, and children, it's actually one in four in children. Wow. So before they even become adults, it's typically one in four. Wow. And for those who have uh, personally walked through this, um, you really don't need to talk about how it can hurt and change mm -hmm. someone's life. But just to get us all on the same page, uh, what are some of the common ways that abuse that goes without healing, so you know, abuse that goes kind of ignored, what are some of the common ways that that can damage someone and begin to like take root in them and really it can cause someone's life to unravel if they don't seek some healing from it, correct? So there's a, there's a couple things we kind of think through when we're talking about abuse. First of all, what type of abuse, if it's sexual, emotional, or physical, and there's many more forms than that, but that's predominantly what trips us up later in life. It really depends on when the abuse occurs. So if it is sort of a one-time event in childhood, childhood versus an ongoing lifestyle from early on, the impact is completely different. So when we speak of things like emotional abuse, it is forms of control, honestly, that one or both parents or other people use to literally get a child to do something that they want them to do. And they use forms like manipulation, um, coercion, exploitation, blackmail, anything to sort of render the child silent and get them to comply. And so as adults, when this goes undealt with, you'll often find people having a really difficult time putting thoughts and words and feelings together. They're simply just not sure how they feel or think and they're confused about, if you were to ask them a poignant question, how do you feel about this? They will often just look blankly at times because they're not used to forming their own. 
and they will sometimes violate their own personal values and feel victimized by it, but they're doing it in order to please somebody. And so that's one form of which emotional abuse occurs and then it rears its head as adults. When you're thinking of physical abuse, physical abuse includes a child witnessing domestic violence because they learn how conflict is addressed in their home. And so when we're talking about our boundaries that are instilled in children from a very young age, they see how their parents address conflict and whether they're also physically abused as well. They come into adulthood typically doing one of two things. They will either explode as a form of getting the issue addressed or they'll fall apart emotionally oftentimes when an issue is addressed with them. And then thirdly, sexual abuse, of course, um, that, that typically is um, problematic, of course, when you're adults, when you become in an, in an intimate relationship. And that, again, the level of healing that's required typically occurs for the length of time in which the abuse occurred. So if there are things in your history that you have not addressed, dealing with them and facing them will help you interact with your relationships as adults. And the weird thing is, is now that you're an adult, it's actually your responsibility to address the things of your history if you haven't already. The way that you feel and the way that you think and the things that you believe and how you behave is completely your responsibility now that you're an adult. And so if things are tripping you up relationally or communicatively, then take a look at it. Great. Um, the lie that a lot of people believe um, that I think trips us up is I'll be fine, I just need to give it some time, or um, even I just need to get over it, it just happened to me, and with enough time, I'll just, I'll find my way through this. And maybe for some, that's okay, but what are some of the signs that, that it actually needs more attention than that? Like, this isn't something that you just can go, I'll figure life out, I'll be all right, I'll get over it, but that I need to, I need to seek some healing in this. You shared some already. Yeah. So the effects of abuse that goes unaddressed, it's evasive. And there are parts of our heart and our soul and our character even that begins to fade and sometimes even feel like it's dying. And it's because it's a consequence of someone else's sin. So we all know that the consequence of sin is death, but abuse against someone else, it's a moral sin. And it's an, it's an offense against God, but it's also an offense against a person. Mm -hmm. And death is a consequence of it. And so you have to allow God to show parts of your soul that it almost feels like it's just dying or that you've lost a part of yourself. You can think of many words that come to mind like love or hope or respect or fidelity those types of things begin to evade and feel like they're just out of reach and it's almost as if you can't familiarize yourself with what it's like to feel that again. And those are some of the things that begin to creep up and you can see how it interrupts relationships. It also interrupts rational thinking. It also interrupts the ability to manage your emotions. 
depending on what you're facing. I know, I, this is a I know this is a struggle for you because your mind is like, this is so deep. Yeah. It doesn't need just yeah. a 30 second answer. It needs more than that. But, um, so, well, I guess I'll say one more other thing about yeah. how do you know, um, if you, if you think about healthy people, healthy people know that who they are and they are also known by others and they sort of, they pursue character development. And what I consider character development is I invite God to speak to every place. So there are parts of us that abuse wants to say, keep hidden. Don't look at it. Um, it also exists in current sin or our mistakes. And I challenge you to bring those things to the light that you cannot deny what has happened in your life. You can't deny it, it has happened, but you can choose how you're gonna to respond to it and how you can grow from it. So that's what I would say. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> when we talked on the phone, we talked about, um, because it's, been, it's so prevalent now, the importance of when, when, especially your age, when they get in relationships, having the, the boundary talk up front mm -hmm. And, and making sure that's something that is discussed. Can you talk about how I know you've dealt with a lot of, um, especially girls who have, have been abused by a boyfriend or something, and, it's, and the boyfriend has crossed the line that was never intended by the girl to be crossed. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about the importance of having that conversation up front about these are my boundaries, if you cross it, it's not because I gave consent. This oh. is a big topic. Sorry. So there's a couple things that you're talking They're about They're telling here. me to hold, for you, you now to hold. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Oh, gosh, it's so loud. Okay. <laughs> so there's a couple things that I think of that you're talking about. First, about consent. It's a big deal, and it's an issue that comes up in court all the time. You, first of all, you have to be over the age of 16 to consent, and you also have to be in your right mind. So you cannot be inebriated and give consent. Even if you've given consent prior to with any person and you're in a relationship with them, and then you're inebriated, according to the courts, you cannot give consent when you are under the influence. So what I will say is, is if you are in a dating relationship, and that is something that you and your person have discussed that you are ready to step into, you need to know what it means to give verbal consent and to receive it. You can have it in writing. So let's say you and your person are texting and you're getting a little flirty and you've, done, you've, you've put something in writing that you're ready to do something like that. If the next day you guys are planning to meet and one person changes their mind, even though it's in writing, that person can change their mind at any point. And I've seen it to where they have literally looked at message exchanges where they've said, no, I had consent. And the person said, no, I changed my mind. So that's not that I'm suggesting that you all go and do that. What I'm suggesting is, is understand what consent means. Also, when you're dating, be very clear about what your boundaries are up front. And be very careful about what constitutes flirting and what gives the impression that you're willing to do something different. It's up to you as an adult to set your own boundary and to enforce it. It's no one else's responsibility but yours. So there's that. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. I want to talk, uh, just for a moment, I want to talk about specifically sexual abuse. 
And I know every situation is different. And like you said, it probably depends on if it was a one-time thing or if it was years and years of just a repeated offense. But how would you even begin to advise someone to move toward healing from sexual abuse? I feel like your answer could be go see a counselor. But um, what are just some of the things that you would begin to advise? Here's, here's some steps that are needed to, to move toward healing from that specific kind of abuse. It's, it's, a, it's so complex. Yeah. So, le, for example, if abuse began in childhood and it was repeated over time, there are multiple things that can happen. Number one, the idea of touch gets confused. And children are imprinted at a young age when they have certain experiences, certain things are activated before it's time, so to speak. And so engaging in normal touch, so if you wanted to go comfort a child or if you wanted to reach out, they are going to perceive or interact with that differently than anyone else. So oftentimes, depending on the severity, we would, we would have to start with how they understand physical touch, how they understand intimate touch, and what it communicates to that person. If there was an experience, for example, when they were... If, it's a, if it was a one-time event, honestly, it is easier for the person to recover from a one-time event than it is from years of abuse. Um, healing will come in multiple forms. One, it will come through touch, through emotion, through relationship, and ultimately, in, sexually, there will need to be healing there as well. So it's, a, it's across the board because sex is designed to be something that is exchanged at a certain point in time between husband and wife. It is the expression of love. And love has been re, um, sort of redefined through abuse to mean something completely different. It means control. It means punishment. It's distorted, honestly. And so you have to right-size those things in, in the correct way in order to be able to move forward so that it doesn't interfere with your relationships when you get older. Wow. Answer that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. When we talked on the phone, um, one of the things I told you that I'm seeing more and more of in um, just in people's lives in general is an increase of verbal abuse and specifically in a way that I don't think I was prepared to see, but in a, from a friend to a friend mm-hmm. type way and, and, really a lot in like from a girl to a girl. And I believe it's a form of manipulation. I believe it's a form of, of trying to gain power over someone. Um, I think it can seem as easy as don't be friends with someone who's verbally abusive. Like, duh, get away from that friendship. It's not a good friendship. Mm-hmm. Why is it much harder than that? Like, why, why is there almost like an attachment that you feel to someone that even though they're treating you wrong and you know it's wrong, you don't disconnect from it. Does that make sense? So it's, it's interesting because sometimes when we don't deal with emotional abuse that's occurred once, we typically will seek those relationships out anyway because it's what's familiar and we're not used to making stands and we're not used to detecting what is considered appropriate and what isn't when it comes to relationships. So... And that could be true for dating relationships or friend relationships. 
when you're when you are thinking about emotional abuse and asking yourself the question, is this crossing a line for me? Go down a simple list of things for like, can I say yes or no? Is that so if she or he invites me to do something, I can say yes or no, and I can also change my mind at any time, and there should not be any kind of emotional punishment as a result of that. I'm free to choose, so love is a choice. I am invited into a relationship, and I can say yes or no to that relationship at any time. But um, emotional abusers will convince you that you do not have a choice. They convince you that you are stuck and actually beneath them in some way to some degree by using, like, they'll demean you, they'll insult you, they'll exploit you, they'll take personal information that you've shared with them in a vulnerable moment, and they'll threaten to use it against you. And so in some ways, you're afraid to make a stand or afraid to um, end the relationship or at least confront them. They can be incredibly punishing. How, like, how would you go about, I mean, so shouldn't it be as easy as, okay, that's happening, so I'm out. But why is it much more difficult than that? And, and be, well, how would well, you? Well, emotional abusers are possessive, and they don't let go very easily. And so it's one thing to be able to say, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. And it's another to then feel pursued in such a negative way. Sometimes you just want the fire to cease for a minute so you can have a breath even though that person is still in your life. You're like, a, you know, just if we could just be friends, just don't be my enemy. Hmm. And so you make concessions to try to just keep the relationship where it is. Hmm. It's incredibly difficult. So it's almost the importance of boundaries and friendships, not just dating relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, many people in here may not have been the victims of abuse, but they know someone who has been, maybe a friend. How, how would you advise us, what is our role in helping someone walk through the healing process of abuse? If it's a friend of ours or someone we know, and uh, maybe what we don't say is just as important as what we do say to help someone. Would you, would you agree with that? Yes. <laughs> Thanks, I do. I, do. I said it. Uh, <laughs> Like, so how do you as a friend help someone go through this process? Is there, could you give any tips to us? You know, I, I always steer clear of unsolicited advice. So unless someone is asking, what would you do? I simply listen and I hear what their heart is sharing. And I, I will say something like, this, this is really hard. I'm so sorry. I love you. How can I pray for you? Um, I steer very much away from just offering advice to people that aren't asking for it. So, but as a friend, one of the most loving things I can do is sometimes say hard things. And if someone I care about is struggling and continue to struggle due to abuse, then saying something difficult in the moment of, maybe you should talk to somebody. Have you told anybody about what's happened? Do you need some, some more assistance or support than what I can offer? Meaning just a listening friend. Doing that can sometimes put their growth above your comfort, which is an okay thing to do if it means that that person finds freedom. You're, you are, uh, would you be considered a Christian counselor? Yes. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, not just that you are a counselor who is a Christian, you are a Christian counselor. Mm -hmm. um, in your experience, how important is the 
spiritual, supernatural healing that Jesus brings in the equation. I mean, I, I am a, I'm a huge advocate for counseling, therapy, uh, all those kinds of things on top of a spiritual healing. So I'd love to know from your perspective of someone who's in the counseling world, how important is the supernatural spiritual healing uh, beside what you do? So in, in my opinion and in my experience, I honestly do not believe true healing can come apart from Jesus Christ. So I think that counseling can help band-aid some things um, from really exploding or getting um, to a level that's a crisis. But true healing, in, in my experience, only comes from him. He is the substitute. He, that is, that is the, he, came, he came for that reason to set us free. And so I, while I do believe counseling is incredibly helpful, um, Apart from Jesus, I don't believe healing truly exists. Wow. That's just me. <laughs> um, I have a question sent in. Uh, I tend to try to push away everyone who gets close to me because of past uh, verbal emotional abuse. How do I try to get over that and change that? From pushing away people because I've been... I think it really you could speak to all kinds of abuse. Um, you don't trust people, right? Because of past abuse. So, so when people want to be close, oftentimes they may or may not see or say things about you that you may or may not like. And if there's been any form of abuse that's present, we typically want to push people that may see the truth away because we're not ready to face it. And so I would encourage you to find some one or two life-giving people that, are, that would be considered safe. So you don't want to just let anyone into those places because further abuse could even happen. But life-giving people, I would encourage you to open up and share and let them get this much closer and then this much closer. Because as you look at what is conflicting from within, you actually gain security because you can see a relationship exists over time because it survives the difficulty. And that's the beauty of it. Whereas what you've most likely been taught is that you don't do anything to disrupt or the relationship would end. And so do whatever it takes to keep it. Meaning, if you knew the real me, you wouldn't want to be around me. You wouldn't want to know me. So I'll just keep you at arm's length. Yeah, I think the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus loves you for who you are, and there is no pretense with him. There is no fakeness with him. It is a, this is me, and in my weakness, his strength is made full. Like, it's in my weakness that his strength is known. And I think that is, that should be mirrored in our relationships as believers. I think the church ought to be the most safe place for people to be vulnerable and honest about what they have walked through in their life. And uh, let me just say, if you've, if you've been abused by a relationship in the church, that is not of God. That is not, uh, that is not an accurate picture of what God designed his church to be. And so I'm sorry that that's what you experienced, but that's not right. The church ought to be the safest place for relationships to be as deep as relationships come. And uh, I just think we should commit to being that. I don't, you can't control 
what other people do with their relationships, but you can't control what kind of friend you're going to be and what kind of relationships you're going to foster. And so let me just encourage us as a community to be the kind of place where full vulnerability and openness is invited and judgment is not passed and healing is invited in those things, which how healing comes into those things is, is probably a, another big conversation. But one of the things is it means, uh, like, I feel safe that you're not going to run with what I'm telling you to other people. That's important. Um, so many things. So let me just encourage you. I think the church should be the best place for those relationships to be formed. Um, what would you share, like, what would be the biggest thing you would share to this age group about getting healing from abuse? Why is it, like, why is it important? Um, obviously, you've talked a lot about this stuff, but I just can't stress the importance enough that uh, these things have to be brought into the light, that you can't keep it in darkness. Um, what's one last thing you would just encourage for anyone who's walked through um, abuse of any kind? Putting you on the spot. Yeah, so sometimes I think shame can be incredibly loud to people who have experienced any form of abuse. And you have got to choose somewhere in the deepest part of your heart to listen to the voice of God over shame. Because shame's, it will keep you stuck and alone. And it, you will also become an abuser yourself in many different ways, meaning if I don't want people to be close to me and you're not getting it, I will do whatever it takes to get you to back away, even if it's destructive. And that is a form of abuse. So you will continue to wound out your wounds, so to speak, unless they're addressed. So for freedom's sake, um, I would say seek healing. And then also evaluate how you're interacting in your relationships and make right what you can get closer where you can and serve others where you can who, where you know that they've been abused that's what I would say that's great yeah. that's great thank you so much you're welcome. thanks for being willing to have this conversation yeah. can we thank Leslie for being here you can take that with you <laughs> I want to talk to you guys just for a minute um, before we close out tonight Jared can you come on up and we're going to close with a song. I'm grateful to be, um, I'm grateful just to be in the conversation. And like I said in the beginning, like, we can't speak to everyone's specific uh, problem, specific situation, specifically what you've walked through. Um, but maybe, maybe out of anything, what I've been praying for for tonight, that you would be encouraged to, uh, bring what has been in the dark into the light, that you'd be encouraged to um, dive into some of these things that you're carrying pain that no one else knows about, or uh, maybe that people know about, but not to the extent that you know. And um, I want to read to you some scripture as I was preparing for tonight in uh, Psalm chapter 34. And um, 
You know, in my experience with talking with people who have walked through things like abuse, um, it's a pain that, that not many other people feel. And, um, and I've learned that it's the battle of getting over that pain and finally healing in that pain that just seems to be like a never-ending battle. And so uh, I want to read to you a scripture that I've been praying over you guys the past few days, getting ready for tonight and getting ready for this topic. It's in Psalm chapter 34, uh, verse 17. It says this, it says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all of their troubles. I love this verse. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. I love that verse because it says the righteous person may have many troubles, which means for us, like troubles are not, uh, troubles, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you won't have troubles. It says the righteous person, the believer will have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all of his bones, not one of them will be broken. And so I've just been praying that over you guys, especially those of you in the room who um, are dealing with past abuse, who are fighting these battles that maybe nobody else sees. I want you to know that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to you. That he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And that the Lord can deliver you from your trouble and that he protects all of your bones. Not one of them will be crushed. And so... Um, my prayer for you is that you will experience God's healing, that you'll experience um, his supernatural grace in your life to begin to lead you on a path of healing. And uh, we've been talking about what is, like, what is the path toward healing from past abuse? And I use that language specifically because I don't think it's a, I don't think it's always like a one-time thing. I think it's a path toward healing. And, um, I want you to know that not one of your bones will be crushed. I think there's something in that. That's what the Lord says about you. You may face trials and persecution, but not one of your bones will be crushed. And so I want to pray over you tonight. And here's what I want to do. If you just bow your heads and close your eyes. Um, I'd love to just kind of know who I'm praying for. And so I want to ask, um, if, you've, if, if you're one of those people, if you're, if you're struggling through past abuse, if you would say, hey, I'm on the journey, and um, whether it's physical, sexual, emotional, verbal, whatever it is, if you just say, I'm on the journey, may have been a one-time thing, may have been a life thing, it, you may not even be comfortable saying that it's severe. It may be, in your words, not severe. I don't know. But if you just say, this is a part of my life, and it's a part of my story, it's a part of the journey that God has me on, and I would love just to receive some prayer. I understand it's a bold move to, to raise your hand in front of people, and um, I understand that. But I just ask, if, if you just want to raise your hand, just... Just say, hey, that's me. I'd love, I'd love to receive some prayer. Thank you. I see you. Keep your hands. Keep your hands lifted. Thank you. 
thank you. Okay, you can drop them. And so, Father, I pray over uh, each person in the room who that is their journey, for those who lifted their hand, for those who didn't. Lord, it may feel like a journey that they're on all alone. But Lord, your word says, we just read it, that you're near to the brokenhearted. You're near to the brokenhearted. And so if anything comes from tonight, Father, I pray one thing would be that your presence is felt, that your nearness is felt by those who are brokenhearted. That your nearness would be felt by those who are walking this journey. That they would know they're not alone. That they would know that you are in this with them, that you're walking with them. And God, that they would feel your comfort, feel your peace, feel your mercy and your grace all over their life. And Lord, I want to pray for specific things. God, I pray for those who are feeling shameful, for those who are allowing what has happened to them or maybe even what they have done themselves to define their identity. Lord, I ask that you would release freedom in the room, that you would release them from shame. And God, the image, whatever image is in their mind of that moment or those moments that has them feeling that way, Lord, I pray that you would replace it with an image of your cross, with an image of what you died for on the cross to forgive them, to bring grace, and to bring healing into their life. Lord, I pray for those who are fearful of future relationships because of broken trust in past relationships. Lord, I pray that you would release a sense of trust in you as their heavenly father. And Lord, that you would begin them on the journey of beginning to trust people. Lord, I pray that you would bring people into their life who could redefine what it means to trust someone. And Lord, I pray specifically for those who are fighting bitterness. Lord, I pray that you would begin to turn bitterness into forgiveness. And Lord, how much forgiveness is a lot easier said than done. But God, I ask that you would supernaturally begin that process in people's life. Lord, that by forgiveness, it is not condoning someone's actions, but it's releasing themselves, it's releasing them from that. So Lord, would you bring forgiveness where there is bitterness? Supernaturally, God, I ask that you would release that in the room. And God, I pray for the church as a community. I pray that you would begin to form us into a place where people of broken relationships and broken trust could begin to find healing relationships, could begin to find biblical foundational relationships of how you've made them to be. God, help us as believers to carry that responsibility well. Help us as people who who carry your love God, help us to carry your love well and what it means to love people and to steward that. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.